Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes girls. Jesus, 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 Jesus likes girls. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes girls. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> it's time. It's time for Jesus Likes Girls. Gather round. Gather round. The campfire. Take a deep breath. It's turning into fall. It's getting a little chilly outside. Sweater weather. Wait a minute. Are we talking about the weather? Right oh, no. I, I just can't help it. It's starting to get cold and summer's going away. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's slipping in between my fingers each day. Another grain of salt falls through. It's so true. What should we talk about? I was thinking today I had like an insight about the name Richard. Because it's always confused me how Richard's nickname is Dick. I've spent my whole life confused about that. I mean... Like, I've always thought, from childhood, because a lot of... It was popular in the 70s hearing people have the name Dick. I know. Like, my brother's friend, Richard, his name was... <laughs> they all called him Dick. And it was, like, 1979. So when we were coming up. When we were coming up. <laughs> there were so many people named that, and I always used to think... Who's comfortable with this? I'm not. Because my father's favorite. <laughs> You're like, not me. Never was. As a kid, never will be. A kid on my bike. I was just like, awkward. <laughs> but my dad's favorite slander, slander, I guess, for lack of a better description, is dick eyes. Dick? He loves calling people dick eyes. Dick eyes? Like his best friend. What He's does it growing mean? up. I don't know. <laughs> dick eyes? That's what he always said. Hey, dick eyes. Okay. <laughs> When anyone questions my slang or my cursing foul mouth, yeah, I mean it's coming from the OG Dick Eyes. From Dick Eyes, okay. I don't get it, but I respect it. But so I heard Dick slung around a lot, okay, as a slang, yeah. And so whenever anybody was called Dick as a youngin, I just always thought this guy wants to be called Dick. Very uncomfortable. Okay, so I was thinking about it. So Richard, Mm -hmm. Rich Dick. (sighs) Dick Rich? Well, I feel like Rick is a oh. more understandable. Does any, is that the short uh, nickname for Richard? Richard? Rick. So when we go into Rick, then you go into Ricky. Okay? Now and then Ricky, Lil Dicky. <laughs> I just feel like any kid named Ricky is it's a fucking... Be called Dicky? Well, it's just, he is a dick. What? You know what I'm saying? If your name is Ricky... What was the kid's name on a little Leave it to Beaver? Not Ricky. Oh. That was a beef. <laughs> Oh, the beef was Ricky. <laughs> what? what was the fucking kid's name? Which one? Wally? No, his that was brother. His brother. You're the Eddie bad Haskell. Kid. Eddie Haskell. <laughs> he's a real Ricky, right? He's it's, a real that, Ricky. He's got Ricky vibes. So Ricky in general, I feel like maybe if your name was Ricky, you were just kind of a dick. And then so <laughs> people just started calling people who were Ricky, they started calling them Dick. Dick. Do you think they started saying Dicky? Possibly. They were like, little Dicky Ricky. <laughs> I, don't I think we were trying to make sense out of a situation that doesn't have any logic. I think the logical jump there is from Rick to Dick. And the reason it makes the leap is because people named Ricky are tend to be Dicky. All right. I'm jumping on that train. Thanks. I'm in agreement with you. <laughs> Can you think of any rich Rickies, Richards, or Dicks that aren't Dicks? 
Not a one. What about Ricky Schroeder? Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Just think of any of them. Ricky. The, the show that he was on was Silver Spoons, right? Ricky Schroeder? Yeah. Silver fucking Spoons. <laughs> a show about being a dick. Silver Spoons. Fuck that show. What is the premise of that show? They're wealthy and fuck, white people. Fuck Ricky Schroeder. Ricky Schroeder. I just remember I Ricky Schroeder him. being so, you know, yeah. so so white and nice. Ugh. That's how he was portrayed. I, what is Silver... Silver Spoons, his dad was like the old white guy, you yeah. know, like tall white guy. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like there was a black person involved in the show. Did he have a black <sighs> brother? God. Or am I thinking of that other... Sitcom, where the white guy. Oh, oh, we've talked about this. How that there are these trends of seventies, eighties comedies where there will be a black person of short stature in a white home. We talked about this on the podcast, not on the podcast. Oh, I was like, I don't remember talking about that. We just talked about it together, like um, different strokes. Different strokes. That's the one with the two kids that were adopted by the old white guy. That's the dad I was thinking was Ricky Schroeder's dad. No, not his dad. I don't, can't remember what Silver Spoons was it about. Was it just about being rich? I think so. Fuck that. <laughs> that show. <laughs> that show could be made right now in some of the affluent... I feel like that some of the affluent suburbs that surround us yeah. are that show. <laughs> like you just have a Probably are. <laughs> <laughs> just are. Silver Spoons living life. Silver Spoons. But... So there was the one, um, different strokes, that was what you're talking about, Willis, that had a person yeah. of short stature, a black person in a white home. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was... It's some ASMR going mm-hmm. on right now. That's my <laughs> Diet Coke, everyone, <laughs> if you can hear that. Um, they could. It's uh, the guy, I think it was Webster. Fucking Webster. <laughs> Literally <laughs> People, God, Trump. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry, Black America. Webster, a person of oh. short stature, adopted into like George Stapanopoulos's house or something How like that. How in the fuck <laughs> do you remember the name of that character? The name. Because, unfortunately, this was the stuff I was brainwashed with as a white person yeah. watching this. I mean, what what kind of message is being sent? It's propaganda. Oh my god. If there ever was any. What's the song? Just name this show. Everyone's making a way today in the world. Da da da. Giving the facts of life. That's what it was. That's not facts of life. Yeah, it is. That's cheers. Sometimes you wanna go (laughs) where everybody knows. Facts of life is. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. The facts of life. Did you, did you always think that Joe was a lesbian? I I don't know that that was on my radar as a kid, but it was insinuated. Well, she was, she was butch. Oh, total. Her and Blair always button heads. Yeah, <laughs> there was sexual tension between <laughs> Joe and Blair. I didn't attribute it to her being a lesbian. Yeah. But looking back, I'm like, guys. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could Joe have been any more out? <laughs> what 
Tootsie and Natalie were just like, we don't even know what's going on with you guys. Oh my gosh. Mrs. C. Ugh. Sorry. All right. Anyways, this is Jesus Likes Girls. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, y'all. Oh, so today we're talking about mental health. Yes, we are. It's a laden subject. Yes. Heavy laden. Burdening. I mean, it's a serious subject. Yeah. We're serious girls. We are. I know. As evidenced by our intro. <laughs> Listen, if you're coming to learn anything about mental health here, you've come to the wrong place. The fact that we, we broke down silver spoons, facts of life, Webster, white strokes, white eighties sitcoms. <laughs> you're in right now. You're in. Yeah, if you're still here and you want to hear what we have to say about mental health, we're just putting it out there. We don't actually know what we're talking about, okay? Clearly. I mean, we want to talk about it. And we have some mental health issues ourselves. Yeah, and we have some, you know. You don't need to lay it out for them anymore. They got it. All right. They're in. They're in. Mental health. So, yeah. So, our process, basically, Shannon and I, the week before, were like, what do we want to talk about next week? And we kind of spitball ideas and then we land at something Mm -hmm. so this time we landed at mental health and really i you when i suggested it you were like yeah the olympics this is kind of on people's minds Mm -hmm. and for me the reason i i said it is because i had just been at therapy that day and it was just really good Mm. and i'm just like thinking like mental health is just so vital for my own life so it just, addressing your mental health yeah just just it being a, a topic that we we you and i talk about a lot actually yeah and so uh here we go mental health and christianity what was your first like knee-jerk reaction when you think of mental health and christianity honestly the very first thing i thought of when we discussed discussing this yeah was the first um the first person, the first professional that I ever met in the church that was a therapist when oh. I was young. Okay. And she was ama- she was really amazing in my in my memory. But I never she wasn't my therapist. I never really had interaction with her. But there was a few people like that in the church that were really, really stable and insightful. No, were in they different act- churches, were I should they say. actually professionals? One of them w- actually was. Okay. And then, so I just started thinking about the few people that I've interacted with that were either professionals or that were just incredibly insightful. People like us. (laughs) (laughs) Older, wiser people that, like, they were kind of like the cream that rose to the top kind of people that you could tell were really, had done a lot of work. I hear you. I hear you. But I did, I do think there's a phenomenon in the church with biblical counselors church counselors and real counselors and actually certified educated people who know what the hell they're doing i mean this is something that exists in the church that's a problem yes you know what i mean i sadly very much do (laughs) (laughs) because the church will set up they'll throw a shingle out on a counseling business in a second (laughs) (laughs) marriage counseling we can do it. Oh. Divorce counseling? We gotcha. Like, yeah. individual, like, just mental health? You're a schizophrenic? Great. I've got some sermons for you. Mm-hmm. Like, they will ply people that have true mental health needs with total bullshit that comes out of their culture mm-hmm. as if that is helpful ways for living, which it's not. Yeah. Because, and I, I mean, I would, I would say 
just in a short summary, like the church historically has been the place to receive all of your needs met, a place of care and refuge, you know, as an umbrella over caretaking people. That's what it was. That's what it's meant to be. And so they want to meet all of the needs. Yeah. But they have so much baggage from the way they understand mental health. Yes. That they've done a lot of harm. Correct. And I would also say there are, that mental health is just such a misunderstood, even though there are, there is so much information, education, resources out in the world, it's still such a misunderstood thing about how to interact, truly interact as a person who suffers from mental health issues or illness and just as people in the world, how to interact with those people and how to how to love people well while they're sick or suffering. It's a really yeah. complicated it is. It is very situation. Compl- it is very complicated. But I did learn through uh, Jonathan another Jonathan Paletti article. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Paletti writes for The Medium, writes really interesting uh, commentary about the church. Yeah, so he wrote this article about a suicide Hmm. that really rocked American evangelicals in the 1970s, late 1970s. This guy was a part of John MacArthur. Now, John MacArthur is a huge conservative figurehead in the Christian church. I don't know. I can't think of some of the bullshit he's written, but it's all, I mean, it's straight up, like, patriarchal Christian. Danvers Statement. Danvers Statement is right up his alley, you know? He signed that bitch. So this guy was going to his church and hanging out with John MacArthur in the 70s. They were, like, friends. Okay. And he was suffering from all kinds of mental health problems, and he was committed to a hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. MacArthur and the church, Grace Community Church, they pulled him out of it, and MacArthur took him to his home and just began a regiment of, like, he needs the word of God. And the guy ended up shooting himself in the head at the age of 24. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so his name, his name was... Kenneth Nally, but his parents, who were not evangelicals, he became one in college, took the church to court Mm. and said, you are not professionals and you, he needed professional help. And the court case, like mounting against the church, like you're a church, you're not a place to like treat someone who is like obviously dealing with diagnosis, Mm -hmm. you know, like bipolar, whatever he's got going on. And so um, the case... It seemed like the case was going to go in the favor of this family, but at the end of the case, the judge dismissed it because it just was like such a setting, such a precedent. Mm. If we tell the church they can't care for people like this, what am I really doing? And because the church has so much power, I, they just backed off and dismissed the case. Wow. The family. That's in the 70s that the, the case was dismissed. Yes. Okay. Well, he, I think he killed himself in 79. So then all through the 80s, this family kept taking it up, back up, trying to get it heard over wow. and over till they went to the Supreme Court. Wow. In 1988. Tell me RBG. And the Supreme Court refused to hear it. Wow. Yes. So, I mean, and then you think about, like, some of the mental health mantle that the church will take on and try to tell people that they have the way for them to live. I mean, this is this is the worst side of the mental health and the church. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, there's a spectrum. This is what I've really come to after thinking about it for a few days. Like, there's a spectrum in the 
Christian world of how mental health is viewed, how it's how it relates to people who are walking through depression or serious issues. Like there's a whole spectrum and this is on the very 10 side of terrible. And would you say, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Yeah. Would you say that the word has no power to like transform your your mind or your life? Because I feel like that's the argument of the church is faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word. And the word is God's power and can do anything. You know, like God's arm is not too short. No, I hear you. I hear you. And I think that in some cases, that's right. Mm -hmm. Like the word doesn't, it doesn't work for some situations. Mm -hmm. Because, and this was, uh, do you know who Jamie Wright is? I think the answer to whenever you ask me about anybody is going to be no. What do you mean? <laughs> There's so many people I do not know that you don't understand. I've never heard of. <laughs> She's a blogger. Have you, you've probably, once you see her. Oh, yeah. Missionary. Worst missionary ever or something The very like that. worst missionary She's an author and she's hilarious, but she does, she has this uh, blog called Jesus or Zoloft. That's her blog name? No, it's just an entry. Oh. And so she was talking about the last year and how difficult it was. And she said, when God didn't immediately wave a cosmic wand over my head to make me feel better, I remembered the one thing some Christians will never admit out loud. Sometimes Jesus isn't all you need. Sometimes you need Zoloft. I love her. The very worst missionary, that's who she is, right? Yes, yes. So I've fought with anxiety and depression for as long as I can remember. For me, it requires healthy food, sunshine, exercise, safe friends, faith in my healer and counselor, but sometimes it also means addressing the chemical needs of my body. And so do I need Jesus or Zoloft for today? I think I need both. Hmm. You know, I, I think that uh, this makes me think of this other suicide that I was reading about was um, Rick Warren's son. Rick Warren's son committed suicide? Yes. Oh. Yeah, he was 27. That's so sad. His name was Matthew. Rick Warren with the, wrote the book. Purpose Driven Life. Mm -hmm. He has like a huge, insane megachurch. Basically the tenet of every Christian evangelical. Right, you know? And mm -hmm. so he, his son, by the time he was seven, was, was clinically depressed. Seven? Yeah. Wow. And so they, after he was dead, they began to talk about what his life was like. Before he committed suicide, only a few people <clears throat> knew about the situation in his life. And so these were his things. By seven, he was clinically depressed. He had panic attacks, ADHD. By 12, early onset bipolar, OCD, major depressive disorder, and borderline personality disorder. I mean, mm. he was really hurting. Um, what I mean by that is like situational versus biochemical. Right. This kid, he's on the biochemical side. You know, I mean, I don't know his life. Maybe. Well, he has legitimate diagnoses. Right. And so it's something like he could have been in the best situation ever, but he still was born and had these chemical biochemical he was things. born into the purpose-driven life family <laughs> I mean, the originator of the purpose-driven life yeah but maybe that didn't the second help. bible of I mean, america maybe that didn't help you know well what I mean? obviously it didn't 
Well, I don't know if that's true because what they said after he died was, it was strange because every interview, because they started speaking a lot about mental health after mm. he died. So they said, you know, we always knew we'd become people who became advocates for mental health at some point. What does that cryptic message say? Well, I think they, they were saying because of the child we had, we always believed at some point we would start sharing and being more open about mental health. But okay. they didn't do it. Until he passed away? Until he killed himself. <sighs> and that is like a Christian thing right there. Hiding. Hiding? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... And they said, what Rick Warren says in the interviews is he said, what we always told Matthew was our first and foremost is that he would be miraculously healed. Okay, so that's up there first. Mm -hmm. Second, that he gets the best medical treatment and medications and everything he needs always. So that's second. And that third, you know, they lauded him for his personality and his gifts and what it was like and how hard it was for him. They, I think they said he had a beautiful heart, but a tortured mind. And as I was reading this, I mean, you don't want to judge these people. Right. Because they suffered a terrible loss. They're dealing with terrible tragedy. Unspeakable. Right. Your child is dead. There's nothing worse. Right. But that pre-time of only a few handful of people knowing that this man who's the pastor to America is dealing with this on the regular, like... You could have maybe been advocating for mental health. When he was seven? When it started. And eight and nine and ten and eleven. You know, instead like this of... child was, you, you, you say you understand that he was a tortured soul. Why weren't you talking about that in The Purpose Driven Life? I've never read that book. I, I've somehow evaded it my entire I'm adult life. It's on my shelf. I'm sure I'm, it is. Someone probably gave it to us in some I've form. had I've been a part of small groups that studied it, and I just have never read it because... I think I've worked through it, and I immediately forgot it all. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> but you know? I've, I've always... I've never really outright avoided it, like intentionally, but I've never read it. And everybody around me did and was, and it's been highly esteemed. I know. Even, even just as a, to, to be familiar with it, because it's part of American culture. It's such a big part of American culture. Yeah, I still was I, like. I can't tell you one thing it says. Me neither. I know. I feel glad. Well, Parker Palmer, I was listening to On Being. Mm -hmm. Did you ever listen to that? Krista Tippett. Krista Tippett. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know about, um, you probably, who doesn't know about Unbeing? I don't know. It's like, Lots of people probably. It's pretty much like uh, Fresh Air. Everybody knows about that show. Yeah. But Par Parker Palmer, who's a Christian author, was on there and he was suicidal in his 40s. There's an episode of Unbeing called The Soul in Depression hmm. that I listened to. It is so good mm. i just highly recommend if this is an issue mental health that you think about in relation to faith the soul in depression is a great episode of on being but parker palmer was saying people who are perceived as successful cannot be depressed mm. there's a lot of shame so therein spiritual people can't be depressed because if you know god you should be doing well. And so on a certain level of Christian life, that's, and again, this is on that spectrum. I don't mm -hmm. think this is true of everyone, 
but there is on the spectrum a group of Christianity that says because we're Christian, we can't be depressed. Right. Then it just is evidence that you don't have enough faith, that you're not surrendering enough right. to God. Maybe to that power. you're not redeemed at all. You're not in the word enough. It's It always comes down to you're not doing enough. That's right. what I feel. Yes. And so I don't think it was the Warren family's intention to become advocates once their son died. Like, I think they were just not being proactive about becoming advocates before he died. Right. And that idea of how will we be perceived because I'm the fucking author of a purpose-driven life, Mm -hmm. you know, then it's not out there. Because successful people don't have failure and don't have depression. I mean, you are, if you are in a place of power and success and you feel like you can't get out of bed, then clearly you're not the person that you are representing yourself as. What does that say about Jesus? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't think that all Christians ascribe to that, though. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe they do. <laughs> do you? <laughs> uh, I think... I think the major, the biggest struggle in just being a Christian is understanding that you are powerless, believing it in general. Okay. And so, yeah, it, when you when you actually are powerless over the chemicals in your body that affect you, that you cannot control, that you, you can't think, love, behave yourself out of, then you feel like a failure. And if there's not a, a lot of understanding about that, in your communities, generally speaking. Then and you're fucked. Yeah. Well, that was my knee-jerk reaction when we started th- saying, like, let's talk about mental health. I just thought, oh, God, no. Like, my, I wrote, my knee-jerk response was tea party assholes who see depression and anxiety as weakness and medication as failure. Mm-hmm. And that must be the way that I saw it because I, I struggled with taking medication, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, whenever I would feel better, I would stop taking it, which is common mm-hmm. with mental health. But I, I just felt like I should be able to do this by myself. Yeah. Because many people use faith as a tool to manage their mental health. It's like in terms of just the, the idea that self-care includes meditation, letting go, exercise, nature, and that's all, those are all tenets of spirituality. Well, I think, and just the overwhelming knowledge that you are loved mm-hmm. and using, for me, it was that I would spend so much time studying scripture mm-hmm. and then I would feel okay. Mm-hmm. And then I could have the right perspective with people. I would understand I was loved. And I, I would run on that until it stopped, you know, until I couldn't do it anymore. And then I'd have to go back to the scriptures to right. get that perspective. And I think that that's what a lot of people do with faith who struggle with mental health. They use well, I think a lot scripture. of people do it with and it's faith not, in general. And it's not bad. Right. But it's not going to change the chemical structure of your body and brain. (laughs) (laughs) And so that... It's basically managing your emotions. If you really are clinically depressed or chemically imbalanced or have really strong mental health issues, which like probably 90% of Americans do or people in the world. I don't know that biochemical depression can even be managed like that. I think my depression was stemmed from my trauma. Mm -hmm. And so that's more situational depression. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe people who have trauma and situational depression 
are more likely to believe that they can manage it with scripture. And so when you actually take drugs, you feel like failure. Like mm -hmm. you're not relying enough on scripture, on the, Lord. on the Lord to get you through. You're taking a pill. Yeah. And so you what? You don't need Jesus, you know? <sighs> and that's what I felt like. But I, that's changed for me. What changed it? Medication. <laughs> <laughs> Like I kept taking that pill and continued to evolve in my understanding of what stability and support really looks like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or that even how limited believing that that's all that faith is. Faith is just a way that I'm not like crying in a corner all the time. Like, that's not all faith is supposed to be. That's not all faith is, that's not all that Jesus has for me is just to manage being able to, like, talk to my friends and my family. No. No. You know? And so it, I feel like, like, medication elevated me above that, that cycle. I would say the same. That it's, it's a real liberation to know that you can have faith, that you can seek God for all of your needs and know that he can meet them. And that includes taking medicine that balances out your your body's chemicals and helps your brain function at a level that is stable so that you can operate in the world. Yes. Because, yeah. because mental health issues are real. Exactly. And they can be crippling. A hundred percent. And fatal. And fatal. You know? Yeah. Do you know so, a lot of people that have committed suicide? Um, no. I know if I were going to count on my hand, like really personally, I probably know two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you? I would say it's one hand as well. Um, but even though our like personal ties to people that we really know who have t taken their lives, it's so prevalent in our society that so many people are suffering and it's so devastating to me that it's like every time I hear another story of somebody passing away that way I just I always just think like who was helping them what were they were they unmedicated were they neglected was somebody telling them that they didn't need meds did they go off their meds like what is what was happening yeah. with that person yeah I had an interesting conversation last night. There's two people in my workplace who don't get along. And there's another person who is in my workplace who is a retired psychologist. And it was really um, comforting to hear her perspective on one of the people to just say she's most likely silently suffering. Like, this is what I see. Not that I'm her medical professional in any way, shape, or form, but this is what I see of the situation. And this is what I see that in everybody's situation that everybody deserves some margin of you don't know how their brain operates mm -hmm. and what they're struggling with and that they deserve grace. And I just thought that should be thought of about everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody's has a, some kind of mental health issue, whether I, it be like a, di a strict diagnosis or they suffered trauma and this triggers them or they're, they're an anxious person or they're insecure and it really drives all of their behaviors. I just think it's such a thoughtful way to interact with other people. Yeah, it is. It's but, really good perspective. Yeah. So for you, do you think your mental health is more situational or biochemical? Well, I know that mine's biochemical. Okay. After many years of therapy 
and medical intervention in trying to change and be better and recognizing that that wasn't, my work wasn't enough. Okay. And so it's taken me a long time to get to a place where I fully understand that I take antidepressants because my body needs them. Because I went for a long time saying and advocating that I don't just want to fix it with medicine. You know, and I was also kind of scared of antidepressants because there are like negative side effects that can happen with any drugs. Yeah. And I didn't want to risk um, suffering from those. And so I just thought I'm going to try every avenue before I get there to a place of taking medication. And so when I finally did, my life drastically changed for the better. Okay, but about medication. On that On Being episode, mm-hmm. there one of the people she interviews is Andrew Solomon. He's an author of it, a book called The Noonday Demon, An Atlas of Depression. Hmm. And this guy, his ability to articulate what it feels like and what it is like to be depressed is unmatched. I've never heard anyone with such clarity talk about depression like this man. I want to hear, did you write some of his quotes down or anything? I did, but I also already ordered the book because it, first of all, he was, she was saying what she loved about him is what, how he explains what depression is and what it's not. And that it's not sadness, that you transcend grief into nothingness. Hmm. And the way that he, he said, this is how he described depression. The ordinary parts of life are very difficult. Everything is overwhelming. Eating, getting out of bed, going outside, it all feels painful Mm. to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. in these small ways that you always feel afraid, but you're not really sure why. Like, um, he he said it's completely isolating. It's an illness of loneliness. And then he says, the very inevitability that you will always be alive goes away and you can no longer rely on yourself. Wow, that, the inevitability part is really striking. I was like, I've never really understood it because I've never been suicidal. Mm -hmm. So I never understood how do you even reach the point of being suicidal. But he's saying in the state of deep depression, the idea of your very living just kind of leaves and then you can't you have none of your internal structures that you normally have that you depend on they all go away and you've just got nothing wow (laughs) i was just that is really it's it articulates it so well it does it does and but he also she asked him about the idea of medication that what do you say to people when they say to you you're not yourself when you're on medication oh i love what you're gonna say right now because i totally agree (laughs) yes (laughs) so but that one really does trip people up i think yeah it really does trips me up yeah it's tripped me up too doesn't anymore no it doesn't (laughs) and he said he said that the idea of an authentic self he believes is completely untrue Oh my God, I love this guy. <laughs> He's saying that the self, the thing that's in us that's eternal, goes through all of life experience and it remains unchanged. Mm. That it goes through flaws and trauma and experiences, but that central part of self 
is there mm -hmm. and you can't alter it. Mm. You, it's not, you're a mystery to yourself, just as every person around us is a mystery to us. That part of yourself, you can't explain and mm. it does not change. Mm. And he said to me, when I hear someone say that, I think, well, that would be the same as saying, I don't use dental care or take care of my teeth in any way. It's just normal that all of my, my teeth rot out of my head by the time I'm 30. Like, like, <laughs> No, you take care of your brain. You take care of your emotions. And then he quoted this poet, Jane Kenyon. And the quote is from a poem. We try a new drug, a new combination of drugs, and suddenly I fall into my life again. Hmm. This is really flipping and reversing twice. But it's putting on, putting the mentality that um, medication and drugs change you into a totally different person. It's flipping that whole argument. And Absolutely. So, I love that. He's saying it's the thing that supports me to be myself. Yeah. He talked about meeting a woman who didn't want to take medication. So she just started like nixing various stressors out of her life. She felt like her apartment was too much to handle, so she got a smaller one-bedroom place. She felt like her relationship was too overwhelming, so she broke up with her boyfriend. And basically, like, she was narrowing her life down to this shadow of her old life. Mm -hmm. And he was thinking, like, this isn't good. This isn't you. Like, instead of being able to live life as yourself, you have to eliminate your life. And so, but if, maybe if you just supported your mental health with some medication like you could manage all the parts of your life mm. you know mm -hmm. so in any case um i just really appreciated the things that he had to say and um andrew solomon noonday demon read it read it check it out go look it up at your local amazon store. <laughs> <laughs> your local amazon store that's where we've that's where we've gotten in life at your corner Amazon. <laughs> Go check it out. Oh, well, you know, I, I will, that, that personally resonates for me to know that I'm tapping into like my truer, truest self remains the same is, yes. an, is a really big comfort Yeah, because it's really true. Yes. And I've went through seasons of medication because there was such a stigma about taking it and the way it presented itself in my faith community and my faith personal life that I didn't want to use a crutch. I really wanted to like fully rely on Jesus. But my brain was falling apart. Mm. It was disintegrating by the day because I was un incapable of managing it. Yeah. I tried everything. You know, yeah. I really did try everything. And I believe you. praying for healing was probably the number one on my top tier of strategies, you know? Yeah. Asking, yeah. waiting for the Lord's deliverance. And it came in the shape of a pill. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I went to a doctor. <laughs> and got diagnosed with a variety of diagnoses that truly set me free. Right. To be able to operate in the world with some support for my system. Yeah. And to manage my life. Yes. And love people well and not operate in isolation anymore. Yes. Because struggling with mental health is totally isolating. It is a very, very lonely place. It is very. An illness of loneliness. It is an illness of loneliness. What a profound statement. I mean, I can't wait to read this guy's book. 
Seriously, we're going to have to do a... We both should read it and I, do a podcast about I it. I know. It's, it's on its way. I ordered online through Amazon, which is... <laughs> You didn't go to the local the normal shop, way, but <laughs> little little shop around the corner. My local Amazon mom and pop bookstore. <laughs> Woo! Uh, well, we took this deep. We took this way deep, Shay. I mean, it's a deep subject, and I have so much empathy. My I struggle myself. I have always struggled. My family has my immediate family. Yeah. My children. Everybody around me. Yeah, yeah, I've it's, never really, I mean, I was thinking, I'm like, does anyone have no mental health issues? No. Probably actually, not. Y- yeah. I want to say actually, but then I'm like, Krista Tippett, man, she's on antidepressants. Everybody. And there's just so many silent sufferers out there. That's what gets me really emotional, too. Yeah. It's just thinking about all the people that are suffering so much and have no support. And, and I don't, don't think, seek it out. I don't think that medication is the only thing. I'm not no. trying to say that, but no. I just think... Talk therapy is huge mm-hmm. and necessary and not just biblical counselors, but real counselors. <laughs> like, there are people out there that can really help you. I, I'm so thankful for the therapist that I've found. She's yeah. a trauma specialist and she's just brilliant and... Sylvia, I love you. So. <laughs> I mean, a really amazing therapist. I was talking last night to somebody and they said they've never gone to therapy. And they explained their reasons why and I understand what I understood what they were saying, but I just thought if I if I could only communicate how amazing it is when you have been fully transparent and you've disclosed your inner self to this other person and they can start to know you and see you mm-hmm. and understand you and speak into your thought processes with a your large behaviors. education behind that yes to help you understand yourself it's life changing it is a game changer I mean, my last therapist, who was the longest person that I, that had ever I had ever been with, I mean, I still think I think of her. we're not we've never spent any time outside of a therapy session together we're not friends socially in any way shape or form yeah but she's my best friend (laughs) (laughs) she is my best motherfucking friend for life (laughs) she could call me up anytime and i'd be like got you (laughs) what do you need so lucky and I am in like eternally grateful for her insight because she she knew me so well yeah. and understood my diagnoses and those situations and how they affect people so intricately well that she could priceless say, I priceless could, literally spend the money go to therapy <laughs> but she could speak into a situation that I was talking about and I could just start rattling rambling <laughs> oops <laughs> And she would slice right through it with insight and say, this is what I see. And can this be this or whatever, you know? And I would be like, whoa, (laughs) you know? And it would set me free. So helpful. From myself. So helpful. From my grief. Yes. From my pain, from my turmoil, whatever. Yeah. Into a place of peace. Yeah. Yeah. So the other side of the spectrum is like that there is a language for suffering within faith. Mm-hmm. You know, that isn't everywhere. And this guy, Andrew Solomon, he does not consider himself a mainstream religious person. And so he doesn't want, he didn't write a spiritual 
book. He wrote a book that would be able to talk about depression to everyone. But he does say, like, within Judaism, Christianity, there is a the other side of the spectrum where the dark night of the soul you know that mm -hmm. you have the psalms where people are in agony and expressing it and talking about it and so i thought of like desert fathers and monks and contemplatives who embrace that side of humanity that's the Pain. other side of the spectrum in faith where people actually are doing the work of trying to understand themselves mm -hmm. you know and that exists in the spectrum too you know it's like the christianity is a paradox where you've got people who never want to admit there's a problem and then you have people who are writing books about the dark places of the soul. You know, both exist in faith. Right. It's weird. It's really strange. It really is strange. I don't know why, why it is so, why there is so much stigma to suffering. It's kind of a catch-22 because we have access to acknowledging that there is real suffering and there is real pain. And that's, that's what leads us to knowing and wanting Jesus. Right. But then it's like, it ends there, you know, it's yeah. like you can, you can be in well, then touch. There's, then there's a spectrum. Yeah. Which, where do you land on the spectrum? Where did you happen to stumble into Christianity on which end of the spectrum? Who knows? You know? All right. Well, we are out of time. And um, thanks for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe to Jesus Likes Girls. Let us become your faves. Just, we already are. Okay. We're, we are number one. <laughs> and we're starting to get emails. From oh, yeah. people, and we really appreciate you sending your thoughts and your feelings. I was so excited when I saw we had emails. JCLikesGirls at gmail.com. Write us your stories. Tell us about your experience of being a girl that Jesus likes. Yeah. Or a guy. We know you're out there. We know you're listening. We know it, man. All right. So, uh, until next time. Peace. Bye.